Captain Cetos? At your service, valued subscriber. Help me! Someone withdrew money from my account and used my credit card, and it wasn't me! Call your bank right away. Don't worry, everything will be all right. As a Cetos Secure ID subscriber, you are covered up to 20,000 ringgit with identity theft protection insurance. Safeguard yourself from fraud and scams, and also financial losses with Cetos Secure ID. Check the details at cetoscredit.com.my and subscribe for only 9 ringgit 90 cent a month. Tell your friends to subscribe too. I will. This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. It is Fun Friday. My name is Jeff Sandu. Stress. It's something that most of us feel at some point. But what makes people cool and calm under pressure while others go to pieces? More importantly, can we use that knowledge to create a vaccine for stress itself? Uh, Matt, welcome. You know, why are we focusing on fear this week? Well, firstly, because uh, some people say I create a lot of fear on this show. And I, and I should say, hello, Jeff, as I'm about to start talking about fear and stress. Um, but it's not actually true. At least I don't think it's true. Um, it's just that I have a, a slightly different idea of happy to most people. You know, I see myself as the ecstatic leader of an empire of robots cheerfully crushing all human descent. How is this relieving stress? Because it's my happy place. I close my eyes. I imagine my robot apocalypse. And it's like I've been meditating for an hour. Not for you, for the listeners. I kind of feel like we're on different wavelengths for this thing. I mean, does the dog worry about the ant? No, but the human can be sacked. Humour, Jeff. It's about humour. And we'll get to that a little bit later. But um, we're talking about stress. So stress is actually something that gets talked about a lot on technology shows, which is a bit of an irony because the technology is supposed to make our lives easier. But instead, we have the stress of maintaining public profiles on our social media accounts. We have the stress of achieving inbox zero. And of course, there's the threat of automation to our jobs and our careers. Are you going to get to the bit about making it better? Well, the situation we find ourselves in right now is one of a great deal of uncertainty. So we have all of the normal stresses plus this additional strain of this uh, coronavirus and of course, whether we and our friends and family are going to become ill with it. So we've talked about the negative health outcomes of stress many times before. I mean, it can lead to diabetes, depression, heart disease, a lot of negative health outcomes. So while one set of scientists is looking for a vaccine for the coronavirus, another group is looking for a cure or set of cures for the stress itself. You know, you make it sound like a bunch of people in one room and a different set of boffins in another room. Oh, I wish it was like that. That would be so cool. It would be, oh, welcome to the physics room. Here's Neil deGrasse Tyson, Brian Cox and Michio Kaku all sitting around talking about string theory and Star Trek. Have you been paid to insert a Star Trek reference into every show this year? Uh, no, I haven't. But please do contact me if you would like to advertise from my mouth. Of course, standard networking rate supply. Uh, one of the worst things about stress is that it affects our decision making as well as our quality of life. So as we've seen with the panic buying of uh, toilet paper in some countries, when faced with epidemics, and of course this is now a pandemic, people don't always make rational decisions. And it's the same with the spread of fake news. Uh, a cool head can help you to make calm and logical decisions with a better likelihood of positive outcomes. 
you know, it's always going to take us time to develop treatments to emerging diseases like the COVID-19 coronavirus, but an inoculation against fear could help us to better weather these and, of course, other traumatic situations. Matt, are you just trying to turn us all into robots? Well, admittedly, a version of the Borg where my mind feeds into everyone else is quite appealing. Um, It would certainly speed up uh, food deliveries and I think I'd get a lot more presents. (laughs) And you definitely need an anti-stress jab to share your mind. Well, that benefits me. It also benefits everyone else. Um, It brings us one step closer to creating the matrix. Do you choose the red pill? Do you choose the blue pill? Um, But there are two key components to this. So one is developing that stress vaccine. The other is understanding why and how some people are able to function under situations of extreme stress, uh, while others, you know, seem to fall apart. So, for example, I was listening to a podcast called uh, Speedway about the bike sport of Speedway, uh, which was big in the 1970s. And they were talking to the current world champion and he was talking about you know, his routine for race days. Yeah, when his adrenaline's racing and his mind is working overtime? Well, that's what you'd think, right? You know, most of us in that situation would be full of nervous energy, but he actually takes a nap in the afternoon. Most of the races happen in the evening, so in the mornings he's checking out the bike, in the afternoon he does public appearances, he meets the press, he goes to meet fans, and he's actually able to switch off after that and sleep for a, a couple of hours and emerge fresh for the the race in the evenings. So we're looking for those behavioural triggers so that we can become stress-free holistically? Well, you're making me sound all kind of new age again, but um, yeah, the the two things can actually work in tandem. So look at people's stress responses, um, what chemicals their bodies do and don't create. Uh, Personality, of course, plays a part. So I mentioned humour earlier. And we don't necessarily want to be stress-free. Stress can be useful. So having that understanding of how stress is created and how we can control and master it may allow us to actually use it as a force for good. You really are sounding new agey now. Well, okay, let me take a a quick but related diversion then. So this is a, a story I chanced by on The New Scientist this week. This is research into how we navigate and what happens when we get lost. So that's particularly pertinent in Malaysia because there's still a lot of jungle here. My wife is a a keen hiker. She's a a jungle trekker for an an NGO. She's a, a guide for the NGO. And we've seen that when people get lost in the jungle or elsewhere, the searches can appear to be quite random in nature. And that's not because the search and rescue teams don't know what they're doing. Largely, it's because it's hard to predict what people will do when they're lost, or more to the point, that their behaviour becomes unpredictable once they're in that situation of being lost. Because they panic. Well, yeah, the thinking is that the fear of being lost is actually an evolutionary response. So thousands of years of experience have told us that getting lost, being separated from the group, not being able to find your way back... None of these things tends to end well. So there's a genuine uh, and honest fear that you could die in that situation. Now, that might be irrational when you're walking through, you know, an urban forest with roads on every uh, every side of the, the boundaries. But it's still true of the enormous stretches of wilderness that carpet our planet. How do you run uh, experiments to test this? Uh, you know, if you're following someone, then they'll be reassured that they aren't lost. 
yeah, it's very difficult to run tests on people being lost. Um, also because you can't do things that put people in harm's way. So a lot of these tests tend to be historical. So they tend to be analysts who look at situations where people were lost, um, interviewing the, the, those people, interviewing the teams that searched for them. Live tests often happen with the military because survival training is often a component of military training, especially when you get to, to more elite troops. So, for example, a Canadian psychologist, Kenneth Hill, reviewed more than 800 search and rescue cases in his home province of Nova Scotia. 800? And that's just in his province. So that gives you an idea of the scale of the problem and how frequently people get lost. He found that most people tend to be stationary by the time they're rescued, but that's only because they're sick, they're injured, or they're too exhausted to go any further. Only in two cases out of those 800 did he find that people who had gotten lost actually stayed still, stayed in that one place. Hmm. Which is, uh, I guess, you know, brings us back to the that stress response. Well, again, for most of us, you know, this is one of the most stressful situations that we could find ourselves in. And that fear response creates an imperative in us to move to do something, you know, to save yourself. It's like in the movies when someone responds to some crisis by yelling, just do something at the person who's supposed to be their leader. The idea that doing nothing and that nothing is the correct action is very hard to accept. Uh, and I've found that myself in work situations. Um, I've had clients who've been in pickles of varying severity, and it's very hard to get people to sit tight and wait and see. And I'm not talking about inaction. You know, you can do all your preparations, you can get the responses done, you can start to model all the scenarios, but it's hard to get people to wait and see to find out which way things are going to fall. Uh, it's that idea that you're waiting so that you can make the right responses and not just respond and make knee-jerk ones. Let me guess, you're one of those people who's unruffled in a crisis. I think maybe I'm not so ruffled in other people's crises, but I'm like everyone else. I'm a complete headless chicken when it comes to my own. You know, it's another one of those ironies. People ask me to troubleshoot and solve problems for their business, but I need people to step in to help me when I've got into my own pickles. It's a perspective thing. Yeah, and, you know, that's something people don't have when they feel that they're lost. They've literally lost perspective. There are cases of uh, people who've been lost and they walk straight past search teams as though they're in a trance or they actually run away and the rescuers have to run after them and, and tackle them down. Uh, tests run by a, a forensic psychiatrist called Charles Morgan at the University of New Haven in Connecticut uh, with military recruits found that in uh, these kind of um, harsh conditions, working memory and visuospatial processing starts to break down. Um, they found that people were kind of working at a level normally found in very young children. And of course, that has huge impacts on how they break down tasks and how they do things like navigate. Mm. What is this teaching us about stress? Well, we'll talk about some of the ways that, uh, you know, marshalling those responses uh, can work for you after the break. But I guess what it's taught us is that you should retrace your steps or simply stay still and wait for rescue. Uh, or, you know, if it's in your power in whatever situation, call out for help. 
get a fresh pair of eyes, get a fresh perspective. Uh, the New Scientist article quotes uh, one of those old British explorer types from the 1930s, a guy called Rafe Bagnold, and now his speciality was exploring the deserts of uh, North Africa, which I'm sure had already been discovered by a lot of North Africans. But uh, he said the key for him in many situations where he thought he was lost was simply to stop for half an hour. Uh, have a drink, have something to eat if you can. Uh, just give yourself that time to to calm down and collect your wits. Uh, obviously, you know, as someone who was happy to explore remote deserts in the 1930s, Bagnold was probably made of sterner stuff than most of us are. But, you know, it's probably good advice all the same. Mm. Uh, when we come back, de-stressing with Matt Armitage. You know what? I might not get to say that ever again. Uh, we'll be right back. BFM 89.9. Bright, formidable media. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. Welcome back. It is Fun Friday. My name is Jeff Sandu and today we're talking about stress and we've managed to get through half of the show without discussing what stress actually is. Well, this is part of my new policy of giving people examples before launching into the science. So as I mentioned earlier, um, stress is a chemical response to stimuli that allows the brain and body to quickly adapt to alarming situations. Uh, a great piece for an in-depth read is another article on New Scientists actually called Don't Stress, The Scientific Secrets of People Who Keep Cool Heads by Helen Thompson. And I, I say it every time, New Scientists <laughs> really has to work on their titling. So it's the fight or flight response we're talking about here. Uh, pretty much, you know, your brain, the uh, amygdala especially, is uh, always on the lookout for threats. It's like our personal radar, that early warning system. Uh, what happens is the uh, amygdala compares current data to archived memories or of similar situations. The brain isn't a computer. I'm just using that as an example um, because it's terminology that we all recognize, even if we don't fully understand it. And in fact, we will actually be doing a show on how unlike a computer the brain is in a couple of weeks' time. But um, so... When that data matching happens, uh, if the uh, oh yes, a tiger wants to eat me signal goes off, that happens with me quite often, <laughs> the amygdala sends out a, a, an SOS to the uh, hypothalamus, which then pumps adrenaline and hormones like cortisol into our systems. So the adrenaline is that fight or flight part. Your heartbeat increases, more blood is pushed into the lungs and the muscles. Uh, the hormone responses actually keep that fight or flight response going. Uh, that's when the chemicals get released that suppress systems like hunger, digestion. Uh, it overrides your immune system. So, you know, if you're feeling unwell, suddenly you feel like you can run 20 miles. Uh, and of course, it releases stored supplies of glucose to, to actually feed your, your body. But the issue is that the circuitry can sometimes be faulty? Uh, are we matching false positives and firing off these systems unnecessarily? Because like any emergency system, if you use it too often, it places a toll on the systems that it's there to protect. Because they're not designed for long-term or even daily use. Well, yeah, you know, the reactions that save you as I said, really increase pressure on the system. Too much adrenaline can weaken the heart. It can uh, increase risk of heart attacks and stroke. 
Uh, too much cortisol can lead to digestion problems, uh, things like weight gain, potentially even diabetes. So if you're switching these systems on and off, if you're moving from one physical state to another regularly and repeatedly, that, of course, is going to exert both a physical and a mental toll on you. Okay, Matt, so how are we turning this into helpful learnings rather than just making us feel even more stressed? Well, I'm a lot more relaxed. Um, but I think I said earlier, you know, looking at it allows us to break down the mechanisms and start to identify solutions. And we can start to identify traits in people who are very resilient to stress and to see what's happening in their brains and bodies that makes them different from the rest of us. Uh, Belgian researchers have been working with uh, their special forces to build stress profiles. Now, this involves running control groups of troops, some subjected to boring everyday tasks while others are put in high stress situations. Researchers can then record their hormone profiles, measure their cognitive functions, and they can start to create markers that will help the military to monitor soldiers in the field. So that that gives them the, the knowledge to know, you know, when to take soldiers off the line for a break or telling them to dip into their kit bag for some food, some water or even medication. Yeah. Does that have any application in the real world? For sure. There are still plenty of high risk occupations, you know, miners, divers, firefighters, police, I guess even Uber drivers. Uh, so there's a solid business case for having a better understanding of the stress profile of your individual workers. Having those signals would uh, allow you to identify at-risk or agitated staff in, say, control room situations like air traffic control or urban transport systems, for example, maybe even workers in a nuclear power station. And it could also help with recruiting people who are naturally disposed towards keeping a cool head for these high-pressure situations. Mm. You know, we started by talking about a vaccine. So how close are we to creating drugs that can simply block stress? Well, um, more special forces examples, I'm afraid. Uh, we know that genes play a part in the stress response, particularly genes involved in the pro uh, production of a chemical called neuropeptide Y, which is known as NPY. Now, we don't know why, but NPY acts as a kind of on-off switch for the stress response. In one study, researchers at the US National Center for uh, Post-Traumatic Stress Disorders in Connecticut compared blood samples from US Special Forces with regular soldiers during a training exercise at Fort Bragg in North Carolina. Uh, during the test, they were deprived of food and sleep. They were pursued by a, a notional enemy. And when they were caught, they were subjected to interrogation techniques, which is, you know, pretty standard stuff for um, military training. But interestingly, the special forces experienced higher levels of NP uh, NPY for longer during the exercise. But their NPY levels also returned to the original levels much more quickly afterwards showing that they were better able to recover from the stress they'd experienced. So the more NPY an individual released, the less confusion, the fewer mental health issues they actually reported during that training exercise. And how do we make use of that knowledge? Well, production of that NPY may not actually be limited by our genetics. Uh, in uh, another test um, uh, from people who had previously competed uh, an eight-week course on mindfulness, 
their levels also returned to normal far quicker than those of soldiers who hadn't had that kind of training. Uh, researchers James Morrow and uh, Dennis Charney at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York have been working on an NPY approach to work with post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, volunteers were given a nasal dose of NPY before having their PTSD symptoms deliberately triggered. Now, the results were very positive, suggesting that the approach could help to alleviate uh, those PTSD symptoms. The biggest issue was it took an hour of inhaling to get enough of the chemical into the volunteers' brains. Well, that doesn't sound so promising. Uh, no, which is why many researchers are actually looking at another potential source, uh, which is the widely used anaesthetic ketamine. So research is also uh, ongoing into the use of ketamine as an antidepressant. Uh, one of the advantages of the drug is that, of course, it's a ready-approved drug. The process of getting the uh, conditions for uh, so that an existing drug can be used to, to treat new ailments is much simpler than launching and testing an entirely new drug. So I think this was back in uh, 2015, a researcher called Rebecca Brackman, uh, who was then at Columbia University. She found that a single dose of ketamine could protect mice from the negative effects of chronic stress. So it seems to work by increasing the brain's ability to grow new neurons and form new connections. Have we started human testing? Uh, yes. So uh, one of uh, Murrow's colleagues, uh, Sarah Costi, has uh, begun the work. Uh, healthy volunteers receive uh, either a dose of ketamine or a placebo. A week later, the different sets of volunteers give a presentation to a, a very stern-looking panel. Uh, who provide negative uh, feedback. Uh, so they've analysed the results of that. It's looking quite positive. But the team is monitoring for potential side effects because, you know, ketamine is a powerful drug. So dosing and frequency are, are really important. But one of the early positive indicators is that the drug, unlike many treatments for depression, appears to work immediately and it has long-lasting effects, which opens up the possibility that those prescribed it might only have to take it occasionally, uh, whereas traditional antidepressants have to be taken daily and often take weeks to start having an effect. So what's also interesting is that it opens up the possibility of developing new drugs that have a similar profile to ketamine uh, in terms of the way they work with stress or uh, post-traumatic stress disorders, but have fewer long-term uh, side effects. What if you don't want to take the medicine route? Well, that's one of the, the important reasons that we have to map out and discover these stress responses. So a vaccine might be useful to give to soldiers before a dangerous operation or to firefighters before they head into a burning building. But knowing why some people are less affected by stress can help us to develop some of that armour uh, or trigger our own chemical responses in similar ways. So I mentioned uh, mindfulness and uh, Marines earlier. So when the military is looking into meditation and my mindfulness, you know that there is something hard-nosed there. Um, some research shows that meditating for just eight weeks can trigger long-term brain changes related to better emotional control and stress resilience. Uh, things like exercise, diet and sleep, obviously we know those already. Uh, 
listening to music can also lower the chemicals related to our stress response uh, that could actually boost our performance in the workplace uh, as well as other stressful situations. Our good old friend gut bacteria is also playing a role in this somewhere. So once we get a better understanding of how and why those mechanisms work, adjusting the makeup of those gut flora could also be a route to alleviating stress. And even maintaining um, our social networks can be he uh, helpful. Ensuring that your emotional support network is there should it be needed. Mm. Where does humour fit in? Well, studies of stressful occupations like firefighting have found that people often use dark humour to help them cope. Uh, in a study of firefighters at Purdue University, uh, Indianapolis, those who used humour more often as a coping me mechanism were less likely to experience the symptoms of PTSD and burnout. Uh, laughing releases feel-good hormones, uh, and that is thought to make us less likely to kind of dwell on or to recreate these stressful events. And oddly enough, you know, we, we talk about people who have a sense of humour, people who don't have a sense of humour. This humour approach can actually be taught. Uh, a pilot study in Austria put uh, 35 people uh, who were uh, experiencing things like stress, exhaustion or depression through a seven-week humour training course now, that included uh, role play, finding humour in everyday life, cultivating playfulness and learning how to make other people laugh. The training seemed to um, decrease what was perceived as stress. Uh, it incre increased their overall cheerfulness, uh, although we're not really sure as that it wasn't uh, contrasted with the control group. So uh, some more testing needs to be done. Alternatively, you could just listen to all 117 episodes of MSP back to back and I imagine the effects would be much the same. It is important to remember that Matt is not a doctor, so you might want to disregard that last piece of advice. Anyways, Matt, what should we uh, take away from today? Well, Jeff, we know that the world seems very stressful right now. Um, so a little bit of stress, as I said, is probably a good thing. There are studies that show uh, some stress helps to sharpen our mental abilities, but we don't know what these kind of ideal levels of stress actually are. So while we wait for this magical stress vaccine, there are plenty of things that we can do to reduce stress and anxiety in our lives, because it's not just about making us feel better, it can actually help us to make uh, better decisions. So like the old explorer Rafe Bagnold said, you know, just stop, take a bit of time, have something to eat or drink, clear your head, because the solution is more likely to appear if you take a bit of time out than if you plough blindly on. Mm. There you go. Uh, Yoda Matt talking about the stress vaccine. Uh, if you missed out any parts of this conversation, of course, you can download it on Spotify. Uh, we'll be right back with uh, Geeks Works after this, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.